This morning, I'd like to speak on a topic that I'm sure that you've heard many, many times in your life. Um, I've heard it a thousand times since I was a kid. And a thousand times over and over, I just took it at face value. That's what it meant, because that's what the preacher said. That's what it meant. Didn't really study it out for myself. I kind of glossed over it. But I'm just telling you, over the last few weeks, this phrase just kept coming up over and over in my mind. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to do some research on this. I'm going to do some study on this. I want to see what, what God speaks to me through this passage. And um, you'll see where we end up with this. And it's a phrase I just couldn't get rid of. And I know as soon as I say it, you're going to say, well, I've heard that a hundred times. Well, let me just warn you, as John MacArthur says many times, because one of the most dangerous things that we can do in a church anywhere in America is pastors say, turn to this pastor, and you say, oh, I've already heard that, and you go into coast mode. Don't go into coast mode. I'm just telling you, there is something that every one of us in this room can learn if you have the mindset that you want to learn, right? So I'm going to challenge you, and I'm probably going to make a couple of you upset this morning after you hear what I'm going to say. I hope I don't make you too upset because I want you to come back. And, uh, but it is going to be a little bit different than what you've heard your entire life. Uh, I believe that uh, God's Word is so full, and it's amazing to me how even just this last week over Easter, we said, how many times can you read the same passage over and over, and God just shares with you something different, a different application, a different nuance of that verse over and over again, a verse that you've read a thousand times in your life. This is one of those passages for me, and I just couldn't walk away from it, so this morning, you're going to get it. So if you would take your Bibles this morning and turn to the book of Hebrews, um, chapter 11, or chapter 10, if you would. So uh, my guess is that many of you have heard this passage many, many times over your life. But I hope that you'll consider a different application of it this morning. And uh, really, I believe that what I'm about to say today is really a reminder. It's a reminder of what our heart ought to be towards each and every one of us in the body of Christ, as well as what our, our attitude should be when we are here. And uh, so, Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to look at verses 24 and 25. So if you would follow along as I read these verses. Verse 24 says this, And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. It's an amazing thing to consider these verses. I know you've read that a thousand times. Some of your translations may even say in verse 24, let us provoke one another. And uh, we know what that word means. I mean, we have kids, we know what the word provoke means. Stop provoking your brother. Stop provoking your sister. Stop doing that. Well, he says, I want you to provoke, but there's something I want you to provoke too. And so we'll look at that in just a moment. But let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. That is the attitude that you and I should have as we come into the body of Christ. Well, let me, before I get ahead of myself, let's open in a word of prayer and then we'll continue to unpack a few of these things here this morning. Lord Jesus, as we come before You, we ask, God, that You would speak to our hearts. And God, I pray that if there be one here today, Lord, that does not know You as their Savior, might today be a day of salvation for them. And I ask, dear Father, Lord, that, Lord, I know it's easy to come to church week after week after week and have this idea that, well, I've been a Christian a long time. Uh, I've read these passages before over and over again. And we have an idea of what something means. And God, we go into coast mode. Or we'll go to Bible study and say, well, that's not good enough for me. I need something different. As though we have nothing to learn. I ask God that you would rebuke us. I ask God that you would challenge us, change us. 
But Lord, uh, that you would speak to our hearts and we would come ready to hear and to listen and to apply whatever it is that you have for us, dear Father. And I ask God that you would just work in all of our hearts here this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, one of the things I was thinking about this week as I was preparing for this message is, and I heard some other preachers say this years ago, and I always thought it was a little bit humorous, but the older I get, the more I realize that it's such a true statement. Some of us talk about, because we've been in church our entire lives, what a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see. And we can't wait to get to heaven. What a glorious day that's going to be. Can't wait for heaven, but we can't stand each other here down on earth. What is going on with that? We come to church and we have our little cliques that we sit in. You know, I'm going to sit over here because I don't really care for that group and that person or that section. Or I'm going to sit over here because they gave me something they said about 16 years ago, and I just don't want to let it go. I mean, we just let, we let people take up space in our brain, and we lose the joy of being in church and fellowshipping with one another, encouraging one another, and loving one another, as God's Word tells us we should be doing, right? And so I'm thinking about this, what a day that will be. I mean, can we, can we just enjoy a little bit down here on earth, right? I mean, we we get the 40-minute mark and we're like, oh, goodness, he is like going over. I mean, doesn't he not know that we got plans? I mean, he needs to like land the plane. I mean, we can't. And and, and by the way, if this was Pastor Ken, he had already stopped by now. No, I won't have. But, you know, let's let's get back to reality here, right? We are so anxious to do what's next on our agendas that we fail to do what God has for us to do in the here and the now. And the reality is, this is a passage that really ought to bring us back. So what I want to do is this morning is just give you a few bullet points to chew on. And so this passage is really about how we're to treat one another in the body of Christ. It's about our attitude, what our attitude should be towards one another, and really our worship. It really has to do with our worship. So let me just give you a few bullet points. Number one is we are to consider one another. I mean, think about that right there. When's the last time we look beyond ourselves to consider someone else that may be around us? He says that you are to consider one another. It's not just about, so, well, I'm doing my duty, it's Sunday, I'm going to church. No, you're to consider one another in the body of Christ for a reason. It's not just coincidental, it's purposeful. When we come together, we are to consider one another. I don't know about you, but I know there are a lot of things that happen behind closed doors that I will never know about. There are things that happen in your home that I will never know about unless you tell me. Unless I see it for myself or hear it for myself. There are things that happen that none of us knows about. But those things that happen include things that are emotionally hard. Things that are financially hard. Things that are healthily hard. You know, your health is at, you know, at risk or something like that. Things happen when no one else knows about. And you know, the, the worst thing we can do is walk into church and throw off all our angers, our frustrations, onto someone else who's going through a difficult day, and all we do is further the gap between them and us when we ought to be encouraging them and bringing them close together. Let's be honest. I want you to answer this question in your heart and in your mind right now. When's the last time that you went beyond your little circle of friends and said, I want to get to know someone so that I can encourage them? Seriously, I want you to answer that. Because we can live our weeks day after day after day after day and never consider encouraging someone else. And that, that's to our shame. We have our little mindsets of who we like, who we don't like, who we appreciate, who we don't appreciate. But he says we are to consider one another. Chew on that for a while. And he says that's a purposeful thing. And then he says, here's why. 
that we are to stir up love and good works. And some translations say provoke. We know what that means, but the whole idea is that we are to encourage one another so that we can encourage them to what? Love more. To do more good works. And where does this stuff happen? What's the context in which it happens? The local church. It is the local church. The entire thing, if you go back and read through the book of Hebrews, especially Hebrews 10, you're going to find he's talking about the local church. There are some who decided to walk away. There are some who have said, hey, this is too hard. There are some who said, there are circumstances we didn't plan on. And he's saying, wait a minute, the church is not about you. It's never going to be about you. As much as you want it to be, as much as you want your decisions heard, or your opinions, your preferences, your whatever hurt. It's not going to be about you. In fact, it's not going to be about me. If I spend 40 years in this church, it will still not be about me. It will not be my church. It is God's church. But once in a while, we get this idea that, well, I didn't get my way, so I'm not going to contribute. I didn't get what I wanted, so I'm going to just kind of just bow out of this one. Let someone else take care of it. As if I've done my duty, I've done my time. It's somebody else's time frame. I didn't know ministry had a retirement plan. The reality is, he says, we are to stir up love and good works. And by the way, isn't this what God designed us for from the get-go? We're really good at memorizing Scriptures, right? Ephesians 2, 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast you. So it's, hey, pastor, it's not about my works. My works won't save you. You're You're absolutely exactly right. Your works will not save you. They cannot save you. But if you know Jesus Christ, you should want to serve Him. In some way, some capacity, your life should be, should be marked by someone who wants to serve Jesus Christ because of what He's done for you. Once again, a little bullet point to chew on. What are you doing for God? I'm not necessarily talking about inside the local church, inside these four walls. But what is your ministry? What is your service? What is your act of love and worship towards God? We say, well, I go to church. Big deal. Everyone goes to church. That's just called obedience. The reality is you should have a service based on God's Word. And that's verse 10 that we kind of conveniently leave out. out. For you are His workmanship. What? Created unto good works that you should walk, walk in them. God designed you, created you, began a relationship with you so that you would serve Him with your works. And when we choose not to do that, we are choosing, folks, to walk in disobedience. It's not about you or me. It's about the church. Why did God save us? Did He just say, hey, here's your chance, man. Here's your Monopoly board. Pass, go, get $200, and when you get done, you get to go to heaven. It's not about that. If you got saved so you didn't go to hell, I question your salvation. The bottom line is, it's about a relationship. And it's about serving Him within the body of Christ. And He says, we're to stir up, stir up love and good works. Man, how often are we guilty of stirring up something other than love? Let's be honest. Are we stirring up love? When's the last time you wrote a note of encouragement to somebody? You just said, hey, I'm praying for you. When's the last time you picked up a phone, sent an email, sent a text, and just said, hey, I appreciate you. I want you to know I love you, care for you, anything I can do for you. People say, well, they do it to you, Pastor, because you're the pastor. I hope it's not just for that reason. 
I hope that we have a genuine love relationship because you know a lot of you have gotten notes from me on a regular basis. But, but the reality is, do we do that? Are we stirring each other to love and good works? It's amazing to me how often over the last several years, I can, you know, someone will come and they say, hey, pastor, we need to work on fill in the blank and there will be these six, seven, eight things that need to get done. You know, it's the most obvious thing in the world when something's not right. Anybody disagree? When something's not right, it just stands out. Something's broken, it's in disrepair, everybody notices it. But how many people are willing to do something about it? Well, I let the deacon know. I let the pastor know. I let so-and-so know. Do it. Anybody that knows me, he says, if you want to paint, I'll give you the church credit card. Go get some paint and do it. Get it done. Anybody that knows me, knows me, I'll give you the credit card. Julie will yell at me, and I'll deal with that later. Or Paul. But, but the reality is, we should be wanting to do something to be a part of God's family. And especially in those areas of ministry. And then it says, we are not to forsake the assembly. And this is the phrase I want you to chew on. I mean, I want you to wrestle with this. I want you to wrestle with it for a few minutes this morning. All my life I was taught that, oh, you can't forsake, can't walk away from church. Bless God, he missed it. He was on vacation for two, two weeks. He, 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 he forsake the assembling. You can go on vacation, you've got to stop at that church along the way because you, know, you can't forsake it. My entire life there's been pressure and guilt and all kinds of parameters that made, you, made sure that you knew that if you didn't go to church, you were forsaking the assembling. Can I just tell you here this morning... I really do believe from all my heart. You can show up every single Sunday morning. Never be late. Participate in the song service and do your part with your presence and still be guilty of forsaking the assembly. Did you catch that? You can be here every Sunday morning, every time the doors are open, at every Bible study that we present and still be guilty of forsaking the assembly. Because the whole idea of forsaking the assembling is the idea that your heart is not in it. Your mind is not in it. You're not worshiping God and you're not contributing to the family of God. That's the premise here. That's the principle of it. You can show up and your heart be a million miles away. What did God say in the Old Testament to the prophets? He says, even though you, 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 you cry with tears, your heart's far from me. We can be here every week and still not be here. Shame on us. Forsaking the assembly is not skipping church per se. Forsaking has the idea that there is weight or abandonment. In fact, this word is only used in the Greek language about six times throughout the whole New Testament. And it has the idea of abandoning. So I can be here yet abandon my relationships. I can be here, yet be abandoning my responsibilities. I can be here, yet not really worshiping God and abandoning my relationships with Him in worship. See, forsaking the assembly is not just saying, well, it's my duty, I'm at church on Sunday. It's the idea that I have weight involved. There is investment. There is commitment. And I am in this. I'm not just on the outside looking in. I'm not just having an opinion about it. So from you know, someone else's opinion, I'm kind of there. I'm invested. I'm involved. 
I'm part of it. Let's be honest. Let's chew on that for a minute. How many of us can honestly say, well, I'm more than just here on Sunday. I'm invested. God's Word says it this way in Matthew. For where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. You can flip that around too. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. If your treasure is in that, that's where your money, that's where your heart's going to be. If your heart's in that, that's where your treasure is going to be. How often do we give God the leftovers? Because our heart's really not in it. Let's be honest. You say, Pastor, man, you out for a few weeks and you always come back with revival meetings. I'm just telling you what God's laid on my heart. We need to get serious about the thing called church. We need to get serious about what God has us here on this earth for. It's not just to feel good. It's not just to show up on Sunday and say, hey guys, how's it going? Pat, answer, great. What does God want to do in and through you? Forsaking is not just not showing up. It's the idea that I have removed my investment. I have removed the weight and the commitment level. And I can show up every week and have no investment. Shame on us. You've forsaken the assembly. Forsaking in contrast to the call to exhort. I mean, think about this. Say, well, Pastor, I'm not really that needed in the body. Well, I would argue that point. I, I, I've said for years and years and years, if you're here, it's not an accident. I, I, I've met people here who were here on accident. Um, usually a couple times a summer, I'll have some young couple come in here, and they're just like, you know, got more energy than life itself, and and I kind of walk up to them and say, are you meaning to be here at Harvest Bible Fellowship or Harvest Bible Chapel? Oh, Chapel! Pastor Brandon, yeah! I said, wrong church. <laughs> Just got to be honest with you. Love to have you stay, but you're looking for that church. Unless you're here on accident, God has a reason. In fact, God says it this way. He has placed each one in the body as what? He saw fit. That's not an excuse. That's not an accident. God has a reason. And He has a, 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 a position for you to do your part in the body. And He says, in, in contrast to provoking one another to love, we're to exhort one another. The whole idea behind exhorting is what? Building up. Let me stop there for a minute. I believe that every one of us in this room, and I'll say it without excuse, we need a Moses or a Paul, and we need a Timothy. You need somebody that you're learning from and somebody that you're investing in. Let me just say that again. You need a Paul or a Timothy in your life. Somebody that you are learning from, somebody that you are investing in. Question, who's that for you? Who are you investing in? Say, well, nobody. What are you going to do about that? How are you going to exhort somebody? And by the way, you can't give what you haven't got. So you better be in God's Word so that you have something to give to somebody to invest in them. I don't know, I can go in this out around the auditorium. I can remember I came here 11 years ago. And I can look around the auditorium and see many of you that we spent 
two, three days a week at 6, 6.30 in the morning with. And we invested in each other. We read God's Word together. We learned together. Spent hours together in the early mornings. And today I look back and say, that was precious time. That was time well spent. And I look back 11 years ago when they were young, I was younger, and we grew together. We invested in each other, and now today they're deacons. Today they're leaders in the church. Today they're serving. And I think that was because we invested in each other. Who's your Paul that you're learning from? Or have you arrived? You have nothing more for you to learn. Why do we have the idea that we have to have certain things or we can't learn? Who are you investing in? Do you even have a desire to learn from or invest in? That's the whole purpose here. Turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12 for a moment. Let me tell you how necessary each and every one of you are. In verse 12, chapter 12, verse 12, it says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. What's the theme here? He says you're all one. It's not, oh, he's wealthy, he's awesome. Oh, he's a professor at RIT. He's super cool. He's better than the rest. It's not, oh, she's a financial person at the bank, and so she really has clout. That might be how it is in some places, but that's not how it ought to be. He says, we're all one. No one's better than someone else. You don't get more value, more distinction, more recognition because of who you are or what you've done. You know, like what Mike Grubb says, we're not human doings, we're human beings. It's not about what you do, it's about who you are and how Christ has made you. Verse 13 says, For by one Spirit we were baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink from one Spirit. For in fact, the body is one member, but not one member, but many. So if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I'm not of the body, it is therefore not of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? And if the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set many members, each one of them, in the body at just as He pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed, there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head... To the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our unpresentable parts have greater modesty. But our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body having given greater honor to that part which lacks it. Let me just stay for a minute. I'll come back and read another couple of verses. What happens when you have a backache? Do you feel like going out and playing golf? Yes or no? No. I mean, why not? Your feet are fine. Your hands are fine. Your eyes are fine. I mean, who cares about your back? I mean, go play some golf. I mean, everything else is good, right? Or how about when you have a toothache or an earache? 
you want to go to the concert? Enjoy the guys singing all night long and having a good old time and getting into the crowd. I mean, come on, your ears are fine. Eyes are good. Back's good. Feet are good. Why not go, right? I mean, who cares if it's, you got a little, little toothache? Big deal, right? Everything else is good. I remember one time I went to a concert. I had one foot in a cast, and I was hopping down the steps in the other one, and I twisted my ankle. <laughs> Talk about dumb. It was just dumb. Oh, Lord, that hurt. I mean, why, why, come on, let, let's, let's go play some kickball. Foot's in the cast. Your other foot's fine. You got two. Hands are good. See what happens. When one part hurts, it affects the what? The whole. You think you're not necessary? Let me prove to you from Scripture you are. You think, well, I'm just, I'm just a nobody. You're somebody in God's sight. You're somebody that God loves, has died for, has created to serve. You're one of His peculiar people. He wants you. And He wants you to do your part because you're necessary and needed. Every one of them. You have to admit, some of you are toe jams. Some of you are armpits. Some of you are some smelly feet. Let's just, let's just let's be honest. But the reality is, even though your armpits stink, you're still needed. Let's be honest. Am I right? Because you don't get the arm without the armpit. And you need the strength of the arm. You need the strength of the feet to carry you. Even if your feet stink. Folks, we've got to get beyond ourselves. Get to the point where you say, it's not about me. It's all about Him and what He wants to do in and through us. But each of us has to do our part. This whole concept of not forsaking, He said, don't abandon. Yeah, you can be here every week, but don't abandon your worship and building up of the family that you're a part of. Don't walk away from your commitments and your responsibilities to what God has for you to do and to be here in this body. Over and over, He makes this clear. If you can walk through the hallway at church and walk right past other believers and have no intent of encouraging them, you might be guilty of forsaking because your heart is not in it. Your commitment's not to it. Hebrews chapter 3, and verses 12 and 13 gives us another obvious contrast. He says, Beware, brethren, lest there be, but be in any of you a heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily, there's that word exhort, one another, how often? Daily, while it is still called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Sin will cause you to walk away from your responsibilities of exhorting one another. I think oftentimes, even though he doesn't say it, I think it's a sin of pride and arrogance. I don't need anyone else. I'm good. I'm fine. I'm good enough. Leave me alone. That's our opinion, not God's. So he says in verse 
I said I was going to come back to 1 Corinthians 12. Look at verse 25. I'll, I'll just read it to you. It says that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Think about that. He says, I don't want any divisions in the body of Christ. Why do churches go through splits? Seriously. To me, that is the most asinine thing that could ever happen to a body of Christ is a church split. If anybody has an ounce of, of spirituality about them and they have any spiritual maturity, let's practice biblical forgiveness. But it doesn't happen. Someone gets, gets ticked off, they leave, then next thing you know, oh, it's that church. No, it wasn't that church. It was that individual. And if you'd practice Matthew 18, you could probably figure it out. But that church, no, it wasn't the church. It was the individual in the body of Christ that did that. And Matthew 18 says, go to them. Don't work, bring somebody with you. Doesn't work, go before the church. There is a process. And the process is not turning tail and running. And if we would practice that, there shouldn't be no, no thing, such thing as a church split. Unless it's just out-and-out biblical heresy. Apart from that, there should not be a split. And yet we see it all the time. Folks, we need to get back to exhorting one another and provoking one another to love and good works. So he says, let's exhort one another one one another daily while it is still called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. And look what he also says. Let's go back to Hebrews chapter 11, just or 10, just for a moment. Look at verse 23. 10 and verse 23. It says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who has promised is faithful. Think about that. God is faithful. He's never going to let us down. He's never going to disappoint us. He's faithful. People will let us down. People will cause us to get discouraged. But God won't. He's faithful. So he says, let's build each other up. Let's exhort one another. Let's build each other up. And look what he says in verse 25. And so much the more. Why? Because we see the day approaching. How many believe we're in final days? Anybody believe that? I believe we are. And of course, I can remember in eighth grade, as I said earlier, my dad pulled me aside and goes, Kenny, God's going to come for his people any time now. It's got to be in the next year or two. I was in eighth grade. I'm still waiting. You know? Everyone wrote all these books, 88 reasons why Jesus is going to come in 1988. I mean, I, I still have one of the USA Today's front page, you know, when they said, He's going to come at Mount Ararat. And I'll, I mean, just, no man knows the day nor the hour, but the reality is we do believe that He could come at any time. And He says, so much the more. I see what's going on in the news. I'm not blind. I see what's going on in politics. I'm not dumb. I see what's going on in our world. We need each other. Anybody disagree with that? We need each other. So the challenge today is not just about not showing up at church. My goodness, we ought to be here every time the doors are open. I'm just telling you, I love church. Yeah, you're a freak pastor. You're a pastor. You're supposed to love church. I love church. 
I'm telling you, from the time I was this tall, from the time I rode the bus to church for the first time, I love church. I love being in church. I love going to other churches, seeing what's going on. If I'm out of town, I'm usually at another church. Every time I go to Memphis to visit family there, I'm at Bellevue. Go up there and shake hands with Adrian Rogers. Hey, can I sit here? He goes, your church, man. <laughs> you sit wherever you want. You know, Adrian Rogers, cool, cool dude. I love being in church. Every strong memory I have as a kid growing up revolves around church. Our son and men and boys campouts, our men and boys fishing times, our everything. My greatest memories revolve around church and being with God's people. So, Pastor, you're just weird. Granite. But some of us got a problem because we just can't be, we just are loners. And we're missing out on the blessings of being a part of God's family. He says, don't forsake, not, not show up here. That's not what it means. You can be here every week and still be a part of abandoning the assembling. God wants you to be invested in, committed, of, and committed to, and, and an integral part of the family of Christ. And that's only a decision you can make. I can't make you do it. No one else can make you do it. It's a matter of obedience, really. I'll, I'll just say it. it's a matter of obedience. If you're a child of God and you know Him, you should want to be a part of God's family. It's your choice. And I trust that you'll take the challenge. And you'll chew on this a little bit. And ask you what you can do to have a Paul or a Timothy in your life. Somebody that you're learning from. Somebody that you're investing in. Something that you can do to carry on the work of Jesus Christ while you're here on this earth. And by the way, that's why God put me here. Ephesians 4, 11 through 16. He gave some pastors, teachers, prophets, evangelists, bishops, whatever, to equip the saints, that's you and I, to do the work of the ministry. And I'm just going to say it over the last 11 years, I've given you a lot of sermons, a lot of information that will help you do the work of the ministry. But you have to want to do it. You have to want to do it. It's more than just a duty to show up on a Sunday. That's nothing. Be committed to the, to the cause, to the family. And be the person that God wants you to be that stirs one another to love and good works. Lord, I do pray that you would speak to our hearts. Lord God, that you would not just challenge us, but change us. God, that you would allow us to see the importance of, the value of, carrying on the work that you've established. It's not about me, it's not about us, it's about you. And I ask God that you would just work in and through us, Lord, that we would want to do that. Lord, that we see those that are discouraged around us when we try to lift them up, we exhort them. We see others, Lord, who are discouraged and we just pray for them. Encourage them. God, do a work in us, Lord, that we cannot do ourselves. Because, God, we need you to do that. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, just ask for a moment that God's people be praying. Maybe you're here this morning and say, Pastor, that has challenged me. I'm convicted by that. And by God's grace, there's some things that need to change. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that this morning?
Yes, in the back and the sides. Yes, in the front. Anyone else say, Pastor, pray for me? I'll not embarrass you. I'll not call you. I'll just simply pray. Anyone else say, Pastor, pray for me? Yes. Thank you. Appreciate that. Yes. Can I challenge those of you who have just simply raised your hand and acknowledge that? God knows what that struggle is. He knows what the, he knows what the inhibition is. He knows what the, what's holding you up. Give it to God. If it's shyness, say, God, give me boldness. If it's God, I don't know what to say. God, teach me and get me in your word so I can have conversations with people. Whatever the circumstance may be, ask God to work in your heart to give you the ability to walk in obedience, and he will. <clears throat> Take a moment and pray. Answer these questions. Are you abandoning, even though you're here every week? Are you committed to the cause? Are you committed to the family? Are you committed to God's church? Not to me, not to the leadership, not to the harvest, but to his church. Are you doing what God has asked you to do? Just take a moment and pray. If you need to, recommit. If you need to, surrender. If you need to, seek forgiveness for disobedience. However God speaks to you, your heart, you respond as you have to respond. Lord Jesus, we thank you for how you do work in our hearts and our lives. We thank you for being a great God, an awesome God, a powerful God. A God that loves us. A God who is faithful. Even when we are not. We ask God that you would speak to our hearts this morning. Don't just challenge us, but change us. And to people who are walking in obedience and faithfulness to you, Lord. Be with each one who raised their hand, their heart towards you this morning, Lord. That you just allow them to see your presence this week. Lord, that they would allow them to see your working in their lives. God, I pray that you would just do the work in us that only you can do. And we'll praise you for it, for it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen.